0: Hello and welcome to the AA Ireland Podcast. I'm Paddy Common. And I'm Blake Boland. This week, the focus is on livable cities as we interview an associate professor in Trinity College. But we also talk about the recent EV summit. We've been driving the Polestar 2 and the Volvo C40 Recharge. And now a word from our sponsors. Oh, that's us, isn't it? We're the AA. Yeah, so if you are thinking of
1: renewing or shopping around for your car insurance, please get on to us. The AA has been one of the Ireland's top car insurance intermediaries for nearly 40 years now. We've teamed up with the top insurers to compare quotes so you get the best level of cover to suit your needs at the right price. We also do price checks so that you don't have to. To find out more, go to the theaa.ie.
0: Professor Brian Caulfield is someone I've read a lot about in the media and I've been on a panel with him on Ireland AM. Really, really interesting guy, lovely guy um, and very, very knowledgeable in his, in his area. So we were really dying to get him onto the podcast. And Blake, you travelled across to the... Halls of Trinity College uh, earlier on this week. How did you get on?
1: I did, yeah. I met him in the museum building and uh, he was telling me a little bit about its history. Uh, beautiful place. So we then went, went to his office and had a good 30 minute chat about livable cities. Are we getting rid of cars from the cities? what's the point? Why do we need to? What's this stuff about air quality? What's a a 15-minute city? So we went through lots of different topics like that. I tried to push him at the end to ask him about his dream driveway and he said, "No, I'm happy with what I got. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, we'll hear
0: that award, we'll hear that uh, interview with Blake and Professor Brian Crawfield later on. Uh, More awards this week. The Irish Car of the Year Awards was on, which is the sort of traditional awards ceremony in Ireland Um, slightly different to our Ireland Car of the Year they do things slightly differently um, in terms of they focus on cars that have been launched that year ours is um, one where we you know the category winners can be from any time because we feel that that's a more useful to the consumer but the winner was the ID Buzz yeah interesting Um, great to see I mean it's such a you you drove the car uh, briefly we will drive the car in the coming weeks Um, I have driven it as a camouflage car so I haven't been in it since then but um, a worthy winner
1: oh yeah it's it's incredible you know it's kind of rewriting those those boundaries and what an SUV a van and a you know a big car are it uh, looks like a van in some ways, but then it feels a little bit more like a car in terms of drivability. You know, that big battery down mm-hmm. so low. The center of gravity is really low, plenty of power in it, and the space, just gigantic. The boot is so big, Paddy, that they have to divide it into compartments. So it's like you've got a shelf
0: in the middle just to give you access to, to two different levels of the boot. You know? I just wonder, whether was it ever meant to be that open? I think, you know, that was probably designed initially as a seven-seater, and the... I think there has been various reasons why they haven't produced it as a seven seater straight away. Yeah. It's on the way though. It is on the yeah. way. Um, yeah, look, some of the category winners were similar enough to, our, to ours. You know, great to see Fiat Five Hundred Electric winning the small car category. Um, curious one about the large SUV Citroen C5X. I mean, in my head, I wouldn't call it a large SUV, but mm-hmm. it is an alternative too. Um, we've done quite a lot on that car in recent weeks as well. I, yeah, I really like. It. I haven't spent much time in it now as a passenger sitting beside you, but it is a really nice thing, isn't it? Incredibly comfortable. Like when it's
1: in electric mode, and you combine that silence of the electric motor with the suspension that's in it, it is just supremely comfortable. You can't overstate that. I've never been
0: in anything like it. You know. That's so, something you'd. You know, if someone said to you, you know, like I need you to go drive to Dingle. That's the kind of thing you just happily just plonk your arse in and and have a lovely spin down, right?
1: Yeah, you've got your cruise control on as as well. Yeah, just just incredibly comfortable, good space in it as well. And for me personally, there is so many SUVs now. This has big space. It's yeah. faster than the yeah. It's just, it's a great alternative. I'm not going to tell you go buy that one instead of something else, but it's a great alternative.
0: So you had your first uh, lengthy spin in a Polestar Two. Uh, what were your first impressions? Does it meet the hype?
1: Yeah, my first impressions were that it was really good. And by the end of the week, once I'd handed it back and put up a few hundred kilometers in it, I was just in love with it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I just, I really, really like it. It's a strange one because on paper, and now we have just released the the written review and we're going to have the video up on YouTube Mm -hmm. shortly where where I review it. But in summary, um, a lot of people are going to just go straight for a, a Tesla Model 3. For example, yeah, by you know, default, and you, know, um, you can't blame them in some cases. Yeah, and, and on paper, the, the the Tesla beats it. You know, you kind of kind it's got more space inside, it's a little bit faster, it's got better range. But there's just some, the, the Polestar pulls on the heartstrings in a way that, that the other car doesn't. And I think a lot of people are going to go out and buy a Tesla without having tested the Polestar. And that's a mistake. I'm not saying which one is better or that you
0: should buy the Polestar or the Tesla.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, horses for courses. But you got to go out and try both of them before you
0: choose. Yeah, like I've been pretty open saying that that's my favourite EV at the moment. It's the one I would have. It's not perfect. It's not, It's you know, it's technically not the best EV, but it's just the recipe for me works. Um, Another car that, I drove last week, which is a sort of a distant cousin, I suppose, is the um, Volvo C40 Recharge, uh, which I insisted in in an early video of calling the C30. Um, which was a car from the early part of the 2000s. Um, well, you, but just,
1: you stole my thunder there, Paddy. I was about to slag you for that <laughs> because he got it wrong so many times. Uh, for whatever
0: reason, the C30s glued my head and I called it that uh, repeatedly uh, on video, which I had to go and fix by uh, overdubbing myself, sort of like a Korean war movie or something like that. But uh, no, it, it was, um, I, again, a car I really liked. It's it, that recipe... That just works for me. I do like the Volvo brand anyway. I'm a bit of a Volvo file, but um, it's definitely one of those cars that for some people won't make a huge amount of sense. It's not massive by any means. It doesn't, the rear space isn't brilliant. The rear visibility is awful. Yes. It's awful. Bad. Yeah. Um, but everything else for me works well. I love the infotainment system. I love the Inbit Google infotainment system. Power is nice. The single motor is more than enough. I don't know what you are. you, Drove the car on the first day. Did you think that's enough, rather than having to stump up for the dual motor for 408 horsepower? No, there's plenty there. What the not a hundred times seven and a
1: half seconds or something. Seven point
0: four like versus four point seven like in, in the seven
1: and a half is plenty. You know, yeah. Once you car. get down to four and a half and below, it's uncomfortably fast. You know, and it's just way more than, than we need. Now, some people are going to like the thrill of it. Grant, go for it. Uh, what will might make the, the difference is that all-wheel drive part of it so now it's not so much a, you know a, an issue here in Ireland we don't have the bad weather that you might up in Northern Scotland or Canada or something like that but for some people
0: that bit of traction is good and for people who think oh well I wouldn't drive a Chinese electric vehicle well where, you, where were both a lot of people these are. Car, where are the, both of these cars are
1: sourced, sourced from yeah well do you know that might be interesting we do the little 15 20 second history of that because um, Polestar to Car Aficionados will recognize that as the the performance spin off of Volvo. Mm-hmm. Um now Volvo trucks and Volvo, you know, passenger cars are slightly different at this stage but uh Volvo passenger cars and Polestar they're both ultimately owned by Geely this gigantic Chinese manufacturing company and they're they're built in in China, you know, it's a Chinese company with Swedish clothes on.
0: Yeah, and that's increasingly becoming the case. And you know, you look at MG, and you look at some of the other brands that are coming on stream. But you know, more recently, the MG four it illustrates that there is no issue with build quality, there is no issue with battery quality. These are excellent vehicles, and for anyone who might have that misguided view that a Chinese product is going to be inferior, this. Totally refutes that. Well, a lot
1: of people are driving German marks that were, you know, Tesla have a factory over there as well, and these cars are absolutely fine.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like if and look, if uh, I'm I'm sitting here with a, a MacBook Pro on front of me and an iPhone in, in in my hand, both of which are manufactured and produced in China. Yeah. Um, so another thing we did this week was we attended the EV Summit, which was organised by the Sunday Business Post. Really good event, very much a B two B focused seventh year. Uh, in a row for that this event took place. What were your highlights uh, at the event itself, Blake? Yeah, and we put out a little uh, five minute video
1: on this, didn't mm. we? So if people want to check the socials, you can see that. Um, my big take, was well, great to see some of the cars there, but for me, I loved the the interaction and um, the, the attendance of government bodies, you know, such as the SEAI and how there's a real drive there to get a better, uh, much more comprehensive infrastructure. Because at the moment the major thing holding EVs back is is supply. It's not not demand. You know that's that's not a question. But as we progress, we need a lot more chargers in the right places, and to see the government there committing to it. Um, Eamon Ryan was on by video conference but the heads of SCAI and a lot of people turned up so for me that was kind of heartening let's say what about you
0: yeah there was I mean certainly there was an, it was alluded to that the grants sorry were pretty can much I just stop you there Paddy the highlight for me of course was listening to you speak when you were up on <laughs> stage well, let's <laughs> <laughs> but let's move on you're very kind but the what I pulled out of it was that there does seem to be was it alluded to that the grants would be pretty much gone by 2024 20, 20, so I think we can expect that Unless there's a massive change in the pr- in, in the pricing of EVs, that EVs might go up because the grants it are going they're going to back away from the grants because they can't put them on forever. So in the short term, we might see EVs going up in price, um, but you know it, it it's debatable. But you know we are seeing EVs getting a little bit cheaper. But the grants have been a help.
1: Yeah, I'm not so sure that's gonna happen, Paddy. Demand for the product, the product being an electric vehicle is so incredibly high, waiting lists are out past a year for some companies. So if you have an EV to sell, and you've got a 12 year 12 month waiting list are you going to lower the price voluntarily no you will put the price up if anything because you know you'll get it and we saw it over in the UK we've seen it recently with the Tesla Model Y whereby grant system changes and oh look MG or Volvo or Volkswagen or whoever it is has found a 3000 euro discount down ah, the back of the couch okay, okay. so the, the Tesla Model Y is now priced pretty much the same as the Tesla Model 3 at standard range level which now gets the grant and hey presto lots <laughs> of people are buying the price. Tesla Model yeah, Y all exactly. of a sudden. so you know we're talking about price parity and that is a lot closer than the prices are actually suggesting because um, the, the the price of produce EVs the difference is
0: not as much as the tags are suggesting yeah, I, I really like the charging from lampposts idea you know it, I've seen it in Sandyford Industrial State I've seen it in Malahide over the last couple of days we will potentially see more of that coming up and it just makes sense yeah, doesn't it? Doesn't
1: it? And it technically, it, it makes a huge amount of sense. I mean, the, the street furniture is there already. They already have electricity supplied to it. Maybe you have to upgrade a cable to, out, you know, to supply a bit more energy, but
0: it's there. I can't wait for a litigious Ireland as well, for someone to start tripping over them as well. So uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. But yeah, look, I, I think it was, a, it was a good event. It, it was great to talk to so many businesses who have now sprung up and who are right in the thick of bringing EVs to the market and but at the end of the day look the government do come and come and tell us what they what is needed but they kind of need to get on with it as well in some areas as well right absolutely there's just so much red tape i mean we did
1: um, a small interview in that video with um, with the the owner the the ceo of one of the charging companies in ireland and then just off camera when we were chatting away you could see his frustration with red tape having to get planning permission yep. just to lay a cable across a path, you know, sorry, underneath the path. And it's these kind of things that are holding it up. It's, it's red
0: tape, really, you know. So look, we'll get on to the main business of the day, which is the interview with Professor Brian Caulfield in Trinity College, Dublin. So we'll listen to that interview now and see you on the other side of that.
1: Right, so Brian Caulfield, thank you very, very much for welcoming us here to this wonderful building in Trinity. Um, can you just, you know, that
2: thirty-second elevator pitch? Can you introduce yourself and what you do? So my name is Brian Caulfield. I'm an associate professor and head of civil engineering here in Trinity. Um, and the the building we're in is the museum building, so it's kind of I always like to think as the the building for the built environment in in Trinity with geology and geography and civil engineering all homed in this building.
1: Yeah, okay,
2: very good. And what sort of research do you do here? You know, obviously you publish a lot of papers. What sort of topics? It's predominantly over the past, I suppose, six, seven years has been on the decarbonisation of transport and how we achieve decarbonisation in transport because it's the biggest problem I see in the transport sector is... How do we get to the targets that now have been legally set by government? Um, and also internationally, how we do it, how we get everybody on board to reduce emissions. Um, and also some of my research looks at how, you know, less developed countries can, you know, decarbonise their transport sectors too, uh, with a view a at, at, at just transition so that nobody is left behind. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, you mentioned that you do some international work there. But just to kind of focus on Ireland, because that's going to be the
1: core of the, the people who are listening to this. We've been told, you know, we have to decarbonise transport, that we need to switch how we get around, be it public transport against private. Yeah, you know, a pretty bad
2: picture has been painted of the situation that we're in. Is, is that accurate? Are we in a bad situation? I think at the moment, yes, we are in a bad situation. Um, I think that you know the car is the predominant mode of transport in Ireland because it's the one that's most reliable, it's the one that's everywhere, and the, the country's been set up um, in that way. So we have a vast motorway network, huge road structure around the country, which we need for public transport and active modes too. But the investment in public transport has been slow. Um, it's starting to get a lot quicker, but it it, it, it has been slow. But I think we're at a point now where, you know, the demand from the public is that they want better public transport, they want to decarbonise their transport, they want to be enabled to do it. Um, And I think the mood music is good at the moment, um, that that we could actually see some real change. Yeah, and you're saying that it's a very car-centric, if that's fair to say, here in Ireland. Why did that come about, do you know? I I suppose it came out because of, you know, a lack of funding for for public transport, for for good public transport alternatives um, outside of Dublin. So in Dublin, we do have good public transport alternatives, but Dublin Bus is fantastic. I used it to get in here this morning, Um, light rail and heavy rail. But outside of Dublin, the public transport offering is less. Um, And and, and that's perhaps one of the the, the main reasons why we're we're locked into the, 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 the cars we currently are. But then also the motorways came and they compete with public transport. If you're going between Dublin and Galway, it's going to be much quicker to to drive and probably in some cases cheaper to, to, to drive. So that's what we've been locked into. And it's about unlocking that. And it's it's the one sector in the climate space that's going to take the longest to do because we're locked into where we live and where we work and the connection between the two of those has been predominantly the car and how we get out of that connection is not something that's going to happen in five, six years. It's not a government policy that's going to come out and change all of this. There is no silver bullet. Yeah.
1: And when people are talking about these solutions, is it simply like, let's just get rid of all cars and, and everybody goes on public transport? Is, is that feasible? Because we're, we're recording this here in Dublin. Now I've come in from Louth today and I took public transport in. But if you live in Carlow and you work in Kilkenny or you know you live in Sligo and you work in Connemara or something like that, you know, um,
2: what's how do we provide solutions for these people? i I think in in the climate space and talking about moving people away from 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 the car there isn't there shouldn't be absolutes um and that's one of the key things i think how we'll get transition in transport is by dialogue and consensus and investment um in the modes of transport but you're right the car will be a part of you know our our transport offering for a long time into the future because of the way the country has been set up um, and how cheap it is to, to to use a car hopefully over the next couple of years that car will predominantly become an electric car and we'll, we'll transition to that over time
1: yeah okay i mean certainly we hope that will switch private cars to electric it, it, there's obviously a strong reasoning behind that
2: they're much lower emissions or is it is it bigger picture than that i suppose yeah one they are much lower emissions and that's the key thing that we need to reduce but you know the other thing that i think about transport is that you know we have a space problem not a transport problem in that if we had all the space in the world you know would we put cars everywhere probably not in our cities we would have active modes in public transport um so it's in the spaces where public transport can be competitive with the car or, or, or maybe it's inefficient for them to, to be competitive even from a, car, a carbon perspective then that's where the electric vehicle should have its space and that's where that's where they should be.
1: okay but there's obviously a lot of
2: issues because
1: um, you know we're, we're seeing great increases in the number of people that are adopting EVs and we released some, some work there last month that showed that year- on year to date it was up by 83
2: percent but we're not anywhere close to, to where we're told that we need to go. We're, we're not um and the, the the target that now seems to have been dropped of this a million electric vehicles um was one that was so impossible to achieve if you look over the past 10 years we sell on average about one hundred thousand new cars in this country a year so we were looking to sell almost that in electric vehicles up to the end of the decade with on top of that ice vehicles as well petrol and diesel so it, it was really something that was impossible so it's great to see that you know that. Target perhaps is gone, and that we maybe the thing I think we would be better looking at is the number of kilometres we drive by electric, so that we use, say, shared modes of transport, the go cars and Yuko that are in the country at the moment but also taxis, that you know, we get them electrified because they operate an awful lot more than the private car does. Okay, so when you're saying look at per kilometres driven,
1: is that, um, I know from some research we've done, you know, around 17,000 kilometres
2: might be a national average, but a taxi will probably do a lot more than that, that's fair to say. It will be a lot more than that, up to two, maybe three times more than that. So you know, investing in an electric taxi, you get a much bigger bang for your buck. Um, and, and, and that's pretty obvious and research that we're about to publish shows that that you get a much bigger bang for your buck so that's where I'd love to see investment um, uh, put into electric taxis and into electric um, shared cars okay okay and uh, well then there must be better it makes sense to have better grants for for taxis are they there already or they're yeah they are there already they're very they're they're, they're very generous grants for for, for taxis but Another research project that we're doing with SEAI and FreeNow is to look at why taxi drivers aren't transitioning over into um, electric vehicles. The transition is happening very quickly and FreeNow have come out and said that they want a fully electric fleet, I think by 2030. So how do we enable that? How do we convince taxi drivers this is this is the thing to do? Um I, I think it might be around I know there's definitely issues around the models that the the taxi drivers can buy and I think those are the kind of kind of it's a low hanging fruit and I think we get a really big emission saving if we were to if we were to invest more in the, in, in that sector. Yeah. So is it fair to say
1: that like a taxi can get something like twenty thousand euros off? An electric vehicle grants is that figure
2: roughly right i think that's roughly about what they what they yeah. get at the moment but when you think about it so save a taxi drive two or three times more than a, a regular car then that's one of the benefits that you're getting a bigger bang for your book there but then also you get somebody sitting into an electric car perhaps maybe for their first time and they're in the back of an ev they get to talk to the taxi driver and anybody that's been in a taxi with a uh, that's an ev the taxi driver is singing its praises constantly so it's 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 a mini sales pitch from the taxi driver and then also the experience of being in an ev and then you know taxi drivers would have more reasons in terms of range and and charging anxiety than the, than the regular uh, punter would so I think that's a good sales pitch that could be happening you know, um, across the network if there are more of them. Yeah. And you mentioned that it's, it's about trying to convert them and get them
1: over, but we, we see a big problem because uh, myself and, and Paddy, the co-host of this podcast, we, we're out testing cars and over, you know, we're doing two cars a week at this stage and we have a word with the manufacturers when you're picking up the card and we say, if I ordered one of these now, when would I get it? And some of them are saying 12 months, maybe even more. So even if the taxi person, taxi driver does want to switch over, they've still got to go through the SAI and there's only a certain
2: amount of grants that they can give out as well, isn't it? So Exactly. These are all the kind of logistical reasons why the million EV target was perhaps a bad idea, um, that we can't, we won't be able to get the number of cars in time um, uh, to meet the target, because not only does Ireland need a million electric vehicles, so does every other country in Europe, and maybe even across the world needs these vehicles. So I think that relaxing that target and maybe looking at more active and public modes is a good idea. Um, but you know, as I said, we sell about a hundred thousand cars in this country a year, and to, we'd almost be doubling that if we if we were to reach that EV target by the end of the decade. Yeah. Okay.
1: And we've been speaking a lot about cars so far. We've touched on public transport, but I'm guessing that. This, the, the electrification of transport it's not just for private cars and, and even taxis that we should be looking at buses uh, trains is, is that possible i mean how does that even look you
2: know if we want to do that um yes well so the trams in dublin are electrified it, electrifying the rest of the rail infrastructure is something that um, irish rail are currently engaged in and then also the buses, that's a key one. Um, a Dublin bus and um, through the NTA are, are electrifying. They're also p- putting in hybrids. They're also looking at hydrogen. They're looking at all the different types of, uh, of rolling stock to, to, to reduce emissions in that area. And there's a really cool project that's about to start I think next year in, in Athlone, where they're looking at fully electric buses that are gonna operate um, in Athlone uh, in a new service. So I think that's, a, that's a, one of the pathfinder projects that the Department of Transport announced um, last month that kind of thing is going to be transformative and if we can get that type of pathfinder into every town of a similar size um, we will reduce emissions we will provide much better public transport and for me that's the key that's the that's almost the secret sauce of, of, of getting towards our emissions target. Okay and there's one thing I was just thinking as, as I walked from my
1: own office down here to, to Trinity and it was a lovely walk once I got into Trinity but just before I came in there was uh, buses passing me by and, and vans and stuff and
2: I could smell the diesel in the air so we've been talking about emissions but is the picture bigger than that really? Definitely. And especially out in College Green and hopefully that's something, you know, in the next couple of years that will be, become a plaza and we will have this uh, this kind of idea that we've been we've been told about for a long time by Dublin City Council. Um, yes, air quality is a big issue. That's one of the, the main reasons that we need to take vehicles out of our city centre. So there's an air quality monitor on Pierce Street that's operated by the EPA and Trinity. And the NOx values there are maybe, you know, they're below EU averages. But in some days, they're three times what the World Health Organization said they should be. So, okay. And can I just interrupt you there? You said NOx. What, what is NOx? That doesn't sound like something good. It, it's not something good. So it's one of the pollutants that come out of our ve- comes out of vehicles and burning anything. Um, and that's detrimental to, you know, um, our, our health in terms of asthma, in terms of cancers and things like that. So it is something that we need to minimize in our cities. And by cleaning up our public transport, cleaning up our cars, and maybe taking out our cars, those are the kind of things that can reduce that air pollutant in our city centres. And lots of cities across Europe have kind of gone away from the, the the congestion charge, and now what they're looking at is clean air zones. So that basically, you can have these air you can have these areas in the city where vehicles that pollute are not welcome.
1: Okay,
2: right. Very good. And then. I'm just thinking about here in ireland
1: you know we're telling people that okay you have to get up your your diesel or your petrol car and switch to ev or you're not even allowed in your ev you have to walk or cycle or take a bus but we just don't have the weather here in ireland is, is that right um it's always raining is, it? is that not the case here it,
2: it, it, it rains less in dublin than it does in paris and paris are taking out a lot of their a lot of their cars They're, they they want more bicycles than cars in paris for the the, the year that the olympics start in 2024 so, you know, th- th- there are ways around it. Like, one of the one of the key things, I think, that always impacts upon transport policy is what aboutery? You know, what about this? What about that? Like, you yeah. know, I'm not talking... I never talk in absolutes that, you know, we're taking out all the cars and everybody has to walk and cycle everywhere. That's never going to work. Um, that, But if a majority of people can do it, and if those that can do it, do it, and we, we can achieve um, certain targets, um, there can be other ways in which people can get in and around um, cities. So, you know... It's not as if Paris or London ban people from you know driving or whatever, it's just they make it more difficult. And if that's the mode choice that you choose to do, it will be more difficult. Um, and, and that's what international experience shows us. Okay, and, and is, is that
1: is that fair? Because we would say that, you know, we're speaking to a lot of customers, we do reviews on an EV, it's fantastic, you can drive to Cork and back on a charge from Dublin, it's really comfortable, and in the comments straight away, people are saying, it's not affordable it's not right that's only for rich people so it it seems to me that a lot of what we're we're hearing it only
2: applies to a small section of society
1: that
2: uh, is it fair is what i'm asking research that again that we published here in trinity in in conjunction with queens and in belfast shows that it's not fair it shows that the evs that have been purchased the majority of them are being purchased in leafy dublin and the more you know leafy cork and galway so it's in the city city areas that have been purchased and in those areas it's where people drive the, the shortest distances so we're not getting the benefit that we need from them um whereas i think people in rural ireland they drive further and and, and they need these vehicles but you know that's one part of the argument and and it, my research shows that but the other part of the argument i suppose is we do need somebody to buy these cars because we do need a second-hand car market and that transition again is something that's going to take a long time i think at least it. To happen. Yeah, that, that's a point you've hit on just
1: there at the end, that the second-hand market, because we're getting so few numbers in, it's hard for that market to grow. Um, but we've seen with, with Brexit recently that the the cost of the importing an EV seems to have gone up, and, and we know a couple of people were connected with them through the AA that they used to have their business was to import used evs and and the uk obviously being one because of the side of the road we drive on and their business just isn't feasible anymore in fact one of them closed down so is there any light at the tunnel there how do we get people into cheaper evs to
2: it it is gonna be a big issue. Um and like I was lucky enough to be able to purchase a second hand EV there earlier this year and, and and that's great, but you know, it, it is gonna be an issue. Um and, and we do need, you know, these new EVs to be purchased for this second hand market to happen. But I suppose the argument that we put put forward in our research is that is it fair that, you know, the people with the highest incomes and in the best, you know, the highest um most affluent parts of the the, the, the country get very large grants for these cars, is that equitable? Um, The paper and I would argue no, and perhaps that money would be better spent elsewhere um, to decarbonise transport. So instead of um, somebody who wants to buy, let's say, a Tesla Model Y, that's
1: 75,000 euros, they get 5,000 euros off that, you're saying that maybe we could afford to pay an electric bus driver. An extra couple of months salary or whatever it is is that the kind of thing
2: something along those lines i, I think what i'd prefer to see is that you know that the grants were given to you know people that aren't that don't have a public transport or alternative so i have an ev you know i live on a very good bus line um i don't live too far away from the lewis um so should somebody like me get the grant perhaps not no um and it, it may be the people that don't have the alternatives um, that are paying a huge amount extra because of uh, the increase in, in 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 petrol and diesel those are the people, I think, it, that, that should get these grants um, and how you do it. you know, that There's mechanisms around that, how you would do it. Um, but it's definitely something that we need to we need to consider. OK, and we mentioned earlier on about you uh, know
1: when I was walking down here and I got the fumes and then you moved on to talk about, well, hopefully this will turn into a plaza. And I think what we're talking about here really is, is removing the, the private car, at least from from city centres. Um, and that's that's going to strike fear into a lot of people's hearts They say well if I want to go and buy something in the shop in town I should be allowed to drive there so just to start on how would that work as well this idea of removing cars
2: is that just simply increasing buses removing parking or how does that work? I think it's a combination of all of those types of things I think it is that we you know we we put in big plazas like we plan to do in front of trinity and we pedestrianize more spaces like you've seen over on cable street and all of that kind of stuff happens in 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 greater numbers and happens across the country it's not just the dublin thing you know i was in cork recently and they've done amazing work down there doing something very similar um i think that happens and then by stealth i think the cars start to get to, to be removed i don't i don't really think now that There'll be a point in which we put a congestion charge into dublin i think once the light rail infrastructure that's planned by the nta is in place the metro is in place all of these things are in place, and yes we're talking about 5 10 maybe even 15 years for all this to come uh, come about that it'll be so hard to get into the city because we won't have the space for private cars that you know that the cars will stay out and the other thing i think is that, that argument's put out a lot you know i want to drive into town to buy something it's rare that you would drive into town to buy something that's so big that you would need a car to bring it home so I think that argument is going to is going to go soon and that, you know, you come into town for kind of, for services and you come into town for, you know, high value, small items and the bigger, you know, nobody comes into town anymore to buy a fridge freezer, at least I don't think they do. Um, and you, you can see people like, you know, say IKEA are doing this in, in the UK, that they've these showrooms in, in the city centres, you can go in, you pick what you want and then it gets delivered. So I think that type of model will happen and the, the need for a car in the city centre like Dublin should, should go
1: okay and is this connected with a, a term that I, I heard recently uh, which sounded very very interesting a lot of people are not going to like it because it might be removing cars and, and preventing them driving to where they want to go but something called a livable city or a 20 minute city where you, you can get within a certain area is, what's
2: this about? So this is the idea, so either 20 or 15 minute cities. Um, so basically within 15 minutes of where you live, you should be able to get all of the kind of amenities that you need, so education, healthcare, employment, um, groceries, all of these types of things so that we come become more like smaller communities. Something that we saw an awful lot during the pandemic that the, 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 local, the local neighbourhoods say, at least in Dublin became much more alive because people were out there all of the time. And that's the type of thing that would happen. And it is part of the, the NTA strategy and it's definitely part of government strategy to, to to encourage that type of thing. So you're encouraging people to drive shorter distances or travel shorter distances and have, you know, amenities and things that they need very close to them and that makes it just more efficient.
1: Okay, all right,
2: and what about, um, just to touch on this for a while, uh, I suppose
1: micromobility is the word, is it, so we're, you know, we're, in fact, what we're doing on, on Thursday now, so by the time anybody's listening to this podcast, by the time they hear it, we've already gone down to, to Waterford to, to record something on electric scooters, so what about electric scooters, motorbikes, even, um, you know, these tiny little kick scooters things now, they're, they're not legal, I understand, but some people are saying they should be, some people are saying they're pure evil and should be banned. So you know, can you summarize what micro-mobility is and how does that work in the, in the city?
2: Okay, well, first of all, you'll enjoy Waterford. It's where I'm from. It's a great city um, <laughs> uh, to put that plug in there. Um, the, so, so micro-mobility basically is anything that like scooters, e-bikes, small um, and then the small kind of mopeds that um, can be used, either purchased by the individual or shared, that there will be a shared model. Like so the way we have Dublin bikes, that there will be shared e-scooters um, across the city. They are a good alternative there's something that you know that's that's gonna gonna come i know legislation is going through the Aroctus on the scooters at the moment um the shared model the experience that i've seen in research from across the world shows that the shared electric scooter tends to cannibalize pedestrian um, uh, mode share so trips that might have been walked now become an electric scooter trip and that's problematic from a number of reasons. Um, one, you know, there's the health impact, um, and then the second one is that a trip that was zero carbon now becomes a carbon trip. So you know, the electricity that's used for these, there is carbon associated with them. Um, I think, as well, then there's safety issues around these scooters. Um, I, you see them all over the place at the moment, and you know, people without helmets. And this morning, when I was waiting for the bus. I saw two kids fly down the road on, on these scooters without helmets, you know, so there's uh, or lights. And uh, there, there are definitely issues around them that we need to, to, to get, get through. And, you know, I think it's prudent, and the government have taken a prudent approach. A lot of people are kind of exhausted waiting for this legislation. But hopefully it will be, will be brought in in a way that ensures safety... And also ensures that we get the right type of mix of micro mobility in the city it's definitely something that's going to come i don't think there's any way anyone could stop it or maybe we should stop it but it's something that we really need to carefully consider i think okay and the thing with, with scooters and i suppose it happens with, with bikes electric bikes as well is that is it the mode of
1: transport being this electric scooter that's the problem or the the person that's on it that's going down the path
2: at night time so what's the thinking behind that but well, when you take out all the risky behaviour and people do risky behaviour in transport modes all of the time, so you know that's a given. You know, no, no matter what we do, that's going, that's something that will happen. Um, I think that in terms of the scooter, it is the, the the safety impacts of it. You know that it has been reported internationally that there there are much more accidents with them. I do think the electric bike has a huge potential um, to extend the range that we cycle um extend the range of public transport if somebody has an ev at the other end of the bike uh, at the other end of the mode of transport that they can use that and i also think you know work that we've done with um with bleeper and e-cargo bikes um in dunleary and in dublin city show that it's a huge way of decarbonizing last mile deliveries um and they will be part of this kind of e mobility e micro mobility um solution and i think that that's one of the one of, the, one of the amazing things that that's happened over the past couple of years that they've become much, much more prominent and it was great to see the government finally give them um, a bigger grant in, in the recent budget. And, and what was that change in the recent
1: budget then? Because I have heard a lot of people, you know, as we've touched already, complaining that a person with a lot of money is buying a car that's very expensive and giving an extra €5,000 and someone who just wants to cycle to work. You know should get four or five hundred euros off a bike worth two thousand or something so what was what was there
2: before and what has the recent change done so originally it was a thousand euro for all bikes and then it went up to fifteen hundred i think for electric bikes and i'm pretty sure it was about two thousand two thousand five hundred now that it is going to be given towards or it might be a bit less to to, to e-cargo bikes um and that kind of brings it in line with some of the benefits that are given to uh, electric cars um so that these are e-cargo bikes are, are, are going to be pushed forward and we've seen you know the, the success of them across the city as i said with the deliveries but also families that are adopting them and giving up their car for one of these and it's not something that's going to work for everybody um but it is so if it works it's something that can work for people and we, we see it working for people yeah
1: okay i mean to say it can work um it, to avoid this the black and white situation where you have to give up your car and then it 's no longer gone is there a sense that we can take steps so even if someone just for some reason they, they feel like they cannot get rid of their their diesel SUV um, it, what can we do with, like can they take public transport one day a week instead or drive differently or you know it, is it worth our while making small
2: steps like that well, it 's always worth our while to do anything you know it's always worth a while to make some changes in terms of how we move around. Um, the diesel SUV is something, you know, if a person has purchased that, and they will have it for however long they normally keep their cars. But the next time they go to buy a car, it'll probably be a hybrid or at least, or, or an electric car. And um, the more we use public transport, the better. And I think, you know, things like lowering public transport fares, making it more accessible, making, you know, improving the information that's given on them, it opens up that opens up that to people. Um, and it's going to be a combination of all of these types of things that if we can make small changes it it will go a long way but you know the 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 climate impact you know it was what 16 degrees yesterday in mid-november yeah it's definitely (laughs) t-shirts exactly you know and it's something that's happening all around us Uh, the, the planet is telling us it's happening and you know we will at some point need to make fairly drastic changes but surely ireland is a is a really small country and you know.
1: What can we do? Like Because there's there's much bigger countries with a lot more people building coal
2: plants. And, you know, is it worth Ireland's while being part of these changes? Um, yes, because it's always good to be on the right side of history. Um, and that's the, I suppose that's the bottom line of it. Um, Ireland can also be an influencer and we can influence other countries as, as we're seeing a cop at the moment. Um, to you know, look at how third world countries and countries that are exposed to to, to these emissions, um, or sorry, to the impacts of climate change, how we can make that fairer, how we can help these countries. All of these types of things Ireland can do, um, and Ireland can be a leader in, in 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 demonstrating this. However, unfortunately, a lot of the things that we see any time we see Ireland in a, in a in a ranking of other countries, we come out towards the end of the EU. We come out below the EU average. We just need to be better at it we need to we the times for reports the time for discussion you know well it's all very important that's been and gone you know we really need to start to to show action and put our money where our mouth is and you know and it was great to hear that the 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 Taoiseach had copped the, the way he was talking about no world leader can't be told they weren't told about this and However, a year ago, he was saying that, you know, the Doll car park should still be there and open for for former TDs. So, you know, we really need to lead by example. And I I do think that a lot bigger changes are coming. So things like the the one kilometre of cycleway in Galway is going to look like, you know, a walk in the park when we consider some of the bigger changes that are going to come towards the end of the decade and into the 2030s okay okay look i think we we might start wrapping up but I, we ask a lot of people um, at the end of these podcasts you know uh well, like, what like what do you drive so tell us because you you do have you actually have a car don't you yep i do i have a secondhand ionic three it's a saloon um it's uh it gets depending on where you're driving if you're driving um in and around um where, where i live in south dublin um you could get 300 kilometers uh, on the motorway that's very different um it's great i don't have a driveway so that becomes problematic in terms of charging and getting to, to public charging points it, 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 there's always a bit of a worry there but i probably charge maybe once a month um so it is it it, it, it is great and i'm very lucky to be able to have that um but that yeah so that and, and one of the main reasons i have it is because i have got dogs and dogs aren't welcome on public transport and uh, so it's uh it, it's very handy to have, um, and, and like many other people, they're looking for these second-hand uh, electric cars, and when I went to, to, to purchase my own one, I think I got maybe 10, 12 options for, the, for a saloon EV, um, and again, as we said earlier, we need more of these, we need more, more of those in the market. Okay and let's say right you you've, you've an ice ionic there in the driveway you got that
1: second half but let's say money was no object right I at the end of this, I just cut you a check for a quarter of a million euros for for coming on our podcast what's what's in your dream driveway then? what uh, well first of all I don't
2: have the dry, don't have a driveway uh, okay. <laughs> inside uh, your house, yeah I'm not one of these people that, that 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 like that are driven by cars or you know that that, that that's something that that uh that would really you know interest me you know the teslas and all the rest they look amazing i'm sure they're really nice to drive and they're um, and some the, the autonomous elements of them are interesting um, I think the car that I have is you know I, I'm not sure it'd be hard for me to, to, to step away from them. Um, maybe an e-cargo bike if I could get dogs to behave in the front bucket of it um, maybe that's what I'd like yeah what are the, the recent
1: Muller loads 75s or something like that they're, they're a nice machine but look I have to say thank you very very much for, for coming on today it's been a pleasure speaking to you it's great to get the insight of someone who really knows their stuff we, were, you know you're not just sitting at home on your couch uh, giving out your opinions is so much work that goes behind it. so much research that ties it in and and you know your opinions are, are based on facts so whether people listening today like it or not it's 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 based on fact and, and research okay
2: thanks very much for having me great right.
1: thanks, thanks again Thank
0: you. okay so that was such an interesting chat uh, it was very reasoned and very reasonable
1: Yes, absolutely. I think both of us were surprised. I was kind of surprised at his outlook and he was possibly surprised at, at our outlook on it as well.
0: Did you assume that he would be anti-car?
1: Um, possibly not to that extent, but yes, against it. You know, let's get them all off the road. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, no grey areas here. They, they need to go. Uh, but he did seem, he seemed very reasonable. He spoke a lot about that kind of, not not a term he used, but low-hanging fruit, you know. So why, why are we giving grants to... Uh, fairly wealthy people to reduce the price of their electric BMW from 85 to 80,000. Why don't we take that 5,000 euros and put it into extra bus routes for people that can't quite afford the big cars to help them get around and not just in Dublin but in Turles, in
0: Athlone, etc. And you and I have talked about this about is it a solution to have our congested cities just congested by 2.5 three tonne EVs with one person in it? Is that a solution? I'd say no. Yeah, I I kind of have to agree with you. I like I don't like the idea of somebody telling me
1: that your car is gone. You can't drive anymore. You got to walk, cycle, or take a bus. I like to have it there for the option when it suits a little better. But it's a good point. If we swap out every three liter, you know, three ton diesel SUV for for the equivalent of an EV, it's it's better in terms of the environment. But yeah, congestion, road safety—is it helping?
0: Because you and I have talked about this before. The real before the reality is that the investment banker or lawyer in working in, in the centre of Dublin who's currently driving a petrol Range Rover, Porsche 911, whatever, is easily going to just go, turn around and buy a, a Porsche Taycan or Mercedes EQS. That's three tonnes. So is that a solution? He is the means, whereas our nurse working in the Coombe Hospital you know, can't afford to to buy an EV and is being taxed heavily and more more heavily and potentially being charged to park more than the person driving the EV. So, you know, where's the fairness in that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that Brian touched on
1: a few times in the interview. was was having more of a a just transition um, and putting the grants in the right places. So you are much better off getting a taxi driver to change the EV just because they're going to be doing, you know, let's just say 40, 50,000 kilometres a year. So let's take the win there with a slightly higher grant, you know, as opposed to giving, you know, a BMW iX owner. Well, I suppose the grants you now, they're, they're kind of limited to 50,000. But still, you know, if you're going out and buying a new car for 45, 50,000 euros, you you know, you're not poor.
0: No, of so, course not. So we will be back next week as ever. Next week, we are going to don our builder's hats Buy a copy of The Sun, get a breakfast stroll and some LucasAid and hit the road in a couple of EV vans.
1: Yeah, let's not give it all away, but we are really looking forward to filming this one. Um, Yeah, I am desperately looking forward to this. It's going to be great fun, actually.
0: Yeah, so we'll bring you some of the outcomes of that next week. And uh, we'll be back, of course, with more. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so wherever you get your podcasts. And share it with your friends as well. Let them know if they're in the motor industry, if they like their cars, spread the word. And we are all over the social channels, be it TikTok, be it LinkedIn, be it Facebook, Instagram. You name it, we are on it. YouTube as well, especially. Blake is doing some really, really good work bringing you some of the best car reviews on YouTube. Please do subscribe to us over on YouTube as well. And that's it for this week. And from me and from Blake, thank you very much for tuning in. Chat to you next time. Bye-bye.